Hello and welcome to the Feminine Genius Podcast. This is a podcast that celebrates all women of God and their unique genius. I'm your host, Rachel Wong. Sister John Mary is a Franciscan sister of the Eucharist mission to the Archdiocese of Vancouver, my home archdiocese. With a background as a marriage and family therapist, a lot of Sister John Mary's work focuses on helping others and sharing God's love with everyone she meets. It's no wonder then that she's part of a vibrant community of sisters who work and serve in all facets of society. In this episode, we talk to Sister John Mary about the impact her parents' marriage had on her upbringing, her personal vocation story, and how she and her fellow sisters strive to bring the sacred into the secular. Hello, Sister John Mary. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing very well. Very well. We are, the three of us are here at home working remotely, and it's pretty amazing what we can do remotely in terms of staying connected with our teams and continuing to move forward the ministries that we are in charge of. And we are blessed. Yes, we are. We're just in this weird phase in our world. But like you said, just the technology that's enabled us to keep connected and then, of course, to do this podcast interview. So thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. So I was wondering to start off, if you could share a little bit about who you are to our listeners. Sure. Sure. So I'm Sister John Mary Sullivan, Franciscan Sister of the Eucharist. I work for the Archdiocese of Vancouver in Ministries and Outreach as an Associate Director with a focus on marriage and family. And that's because my background is in marriage and family therapy. And I was able to study at the John Paul II Institute for Theology of Marriage and Family. So in my new role here in the Archdiocese, I get to bring those worlds together of counseling and the theology. And I live here. I'm missioned here from our mother house in Connecticut, east coast of the United States with two other sisters So three Franciscan Sisters of the Eucharist are missioned here in Vancouver. Yeah. And I was wondering, maybe even before we jump into who the Franciscan Sisters are, for any woman to be able to come to the recognition and the realization that they're called to religious life, there's a whole journey that goes on before that. And I was wondering if you could share with us your own personal faith journey and how you came to know God. Sure. So... I grew up in, I'm one of 10 children. Amazing. And and so I would have to say that my parents probably had one of the most beautiful marriages you could imagine. They were deeply in love. My father died, I think now 12 years ago, but they were married almost 40 years. Deeply in love and just enjoyed each other, were best friends, made each other just better, balanced each other. And they were wonderful husband and wife to each other, but they were also wonderful parents to us. And so I grew up 
with six older brothers and two younger sisters and eventually a younger brother, but probably what impacted our family and therefore impacted me majorly in terms of my faith development was our oldest brother, John, died when he was 11 years old. He was hit by a car, fatally hit, which radically impacted our family as it would. It was before Peter was born, so mm-hmm. before the last was born. The way in which my parents were able to work through that together as a couple, the way in which our faith community, our parish community, St. Gregory's in Phoenix, Arizona, was able to support our family through that process. A few things that impacted in terms of our faith is a deep awareness of how important our own personal faith is to get through times of real grief and sorrow. Mm-hmm. but also what a faith community can be for a family, for an individual. And so a deep appreciation, without really consciously being aware of it, a deep appreciation for our church in terms of church as community was a deep impact. And then I think another real important faith development came for all of us within our families. When you lose someone to death so early and, and tragically, you develop a real sense of the goodness of life. And so within our family, there was a deep sense of community, a deep sense of our own faith individually, and then a real love for life. And my brother Pete was born about a year and a half after John's death. And he also was just a spark of new life to our whole family. But we couldn't have gotten there. My parents wouldn't have gotten there without the faith community support and without their own strength within their marriage rooted in the faith. So so that I would say was early on just set a deep awareness of church, not as institution and not as structure mm-hmm. or not just the the building, but community. And so from there, uh, I was just your typical probably teenage person. <laughs> I enjoyed basketball and boys more than studies in high school. Um, <laughs> and, But there was always a sense of wanting something more and even remaining faithful to the sacraments, in particular confession. Confession was just a standard for me all the way through high school of coming back to our God, asking for his mercy in times where I just failed to live it. But there wasn't necessarily a doubt. It was just not really living up to it and um, peer pressure as everyone would, but still a real deep sense of God's presence in that sacrament and always coming back to him. And I also equate that back to my parents because they were so good. They held standards, but any one of us could go to them when we failed miserably and say, this is where I am, mom, dad, this is the situation. I don't know how to get out of it. And they could walk us through that. From there, my faith grew tremendously in college. I went to a small Catholic university and I was surrounded by deep friendships and dated young men that were strong in their faith and had professors that were strong in their faith. And so once again, that community holding mm-hmm. allowed me to go to another level in, in terms of my understanding of who God is, who his church is, and just a deeper desire, I think, to serve him and be with him. So college was a lot of fun and a real time of growth for my faith. It was the first time where I I felt like I had a peer group of friends that really were journeying with me. And it came to a point where I was dating and 
dated one guy very seriously. And I think because my parents had the standard set for us, that's what I was looking for. And desiring is that love that I saw within their own marriage Mm -hmm. and the goodness and um, the joy. And so though I dated some really great young men and one in particular, I just realized it just wasn't quite what I was searching. And I'm always very grateful for him because he actually ended the relationship. He was into it a little more than I was, but he said, you know, we both would be settling. You would be settling for someone who you couldn't give yourself totally to. And I would be settling from someone who couldn't give themselves totally. And so, which I, I look back, I always think that was such strength on his part and it freed me to, I think, be more open to the potential of religious vocation. And I studied theology in Mm -hmm. undergraduate, so also just started to get into the great wealth that our church provides in terms of intellectual understanding and development and faith and reason, just going into it. And, And I think through that, falling in love even more so with our church and God. I didn't go looking for religious life. I went on to study in Washington, D.C. for two years. And there is where I met our community, my community, um, the Franciscan Sister of Eucharist. It was a call through relationship. Mm-hmm. I met our sisters. I started to work with them, go on retreats with them. And over time, realized that the love that I saw within my parents' relationship and the goodness and the joy, I was starting to experience through the Franciscan sisters of the Eucharist, who became my sisters. I think it was the standard set by my parents in their marriage that freed me to really be open and also to recognize my own religious call. And so that's that's how I actually ended up in relationship with our community. Yeah. In such a profound way, like you said, it's the marriage of your parents that allowed you to really, first of all, when you were dating, it is so hard in this day and age to just find ways to date in a very good and wholesome and Catholic sense. So like for you to have that model of Mm -hmm. marriage, it really set a precedence and modeled the way for you. And then further, like how it just helped you to come into relationship with your community. And now you do like marriage and couples counseling as well. And then you like, you work in that ministry and Mm -hmm. it's just so beautiful to see how that's all (laughs) woven together. But then I guess it's like to talk about that encounter with the Franciscan sisters, if you could share maybe for those folks who aren't aware of this community, who are the Franciscan sisters Mm -hmm. of the Eucharist and and what is the charism of the community? Sure. As Franciscan sisters Eucharist, obviously we have a strong centering in a Eucharistic centering. And so it is what holds us throughout the day, what allows us to enter into our missions, what keeps us united as a community, because we're in five different countries and we're about 90 sisters in five different countries. Wow. Yes. And we're relatively speaking, a newer community. Our foundation was in 1973, co-founded by Mother Rosemary and Mother Chandra Gowan. Mother Rosemary died four years ago. And then Mother Sean is still with us. So what was a huge blessing for us going through formation is that we got to meet on a regular basis with our foundresses. And so really get imparted the charism and spirituality directly from our two foundresses, which was a huge blessing. 
So Eucharistic centering is large. We're Franciscan and so a lot of work. So one way I actually got involved with our community is working on the land a lot. Being outside, working on the land, working with our hands, manual labor, big part of our spirituality and a huge part of our formation process because we have a small working farm at our mother house. So part of your formation is you're out feeding the goats in the middle of winter, breaking ice so that they can have water. And it get, it ties you into process is what it allows you to do. Nature allows us to tie into process and to see the unfolding of God's goodness through the process of nature. We're Franciscan, we're Eucharistic. Another big aspect of Francis was very devoted and rooted in his devotion and commitment to the magisterium of the church, the authority of the church. And so we have a strong sense of being committed and to being centered by our Holy Father, the bishops, and just the structure, authority structure within our church. And, and we see it as it flowing from God to his vicar, to the bishops, to the pastors, and really to our own superiors, our own mother general and superiors of our home. that We get to be sort of linked directly with God through their authority, mm-hmm. which was one of the reasons I think I was and this was unconsciously, but drawn to our community is that real sense of centering by the church authority and commitment to that. And then our charism and mission or spirituality is really upholding the dignity of all life, but in particular human life from conception to natural death. But we do that in a wide variety of ways. So some communities have one particular outreach or apostolate, maybe like teaching or nursing or working directly with the marginalized. Within our community, it was discerned that any way in which we can uphold the sanctity of life, and a sister has a particular charism, that as long as it works with community life, that you would be missioned into it. So we have sisters, like my background is marriage and family therapy. So we have counselors, we have sisters who are nurses, we have sisters who teach in every level from Montessori grade school that we run to professors in college and everywhere in between. We have computer programmers, lawyers, a wide variety of outreach, but all with the idea of serving the sacredness of life and bringing the sacred sometimes into what is secular out there. So our computer programmers out there and doing web development for companies, not only within the church, but for outside. And and you bring that sacred into those areas of the secular. Wow. No, see, like even I learned something new too. Like I had no idea. I mean, I knew that for your community, you do a lot of outreach. And I was aware that there were some sisters in your community that were nurses, or of course, Mm -hmm. like, you know, seeing how you all work in the archdiocese office in some Mm -hmm. capacity, but computer programmers, that is so fascinating. (laughs) It's so great too. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just that reality that we are called into a wide variety of the world. You know, I just think like now we're realizing that more and more just with being in the World Wide Web and on the internet and extending our outreach and ministries in there. So whatever world we're called into, missioned into, we have to be prepared for that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's why uh, like education would be a real important component of our community that 
not only theologically do we need to be prepared, but professionally we need to be prepared to enter into different realms. Whether So I came in with theology. So I went back after entering, I went back and got a counseling degree. Mm-hmm. Some individuals like we have physical therapists who came in as physical therapists, but then they go back to get their theology. Because no matter what realm you're operating in, people still see you with some authority as you wear a habit to speak into faith aspects. And so it's also important to have the theological yeah, education. For sure. <laughs> And that's also amazing too. Like, can you imagine being recommended to go to see a physical therapist and you're expecting, you know, (laughs) someone in like doctor clothes, sports clothes, and then they're wearing a habit. That is so amazing. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's right. Mm -hmm. And what we have found is that there's almost, maybe sometimes you have to work through some barriers in that, but for the most part, it actually, for us, it allows for a certain level of trust immediately. A sense of we're not in this for ourselves. We're here to serve really the needs of others. Even in counseling, when I did clinical work in the state, our counseling center served a wide variety of people. So I always loved it. You see in our our waiting room, like an 80-year-old woman praying her rosary next to a guy with all tattooed out and and gauges waiting to see their therapist or the psychologist or psychiatrist. And so we had a lot of people that would be referred to us based on low income because we would take low income clients. And they may be initially like, what did I get myself into? I'm sitting across in a counseling session with a religious sister, but it could work through that pretty quickly and get to a place of real trust. So it is, yeah. it's, it's interesting. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Now, in terms of like the work that you do now with the Archdiocese Mm -hmm. of Vancouver, you work in ministries and outreach. Can you share a little Mm -hmm. bit about the work that you do right now? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. My main focus is on marriage and family. I have a wonderful team that I work with. Sharon Goh and Megan are my primary collaborators in terms of ministry. So marriage prep, we do support with parishes who are doing parenting programs. Uh, We've just are developing, right? We're right in the initial stages of getting out into the parishes, marriage mentorship, Uh um, which we're really excited about. And then a big part of what I've been able to be a part of is creating a registry of Catholic counselors on our website. So now we have, I think about 13 or 14 Catholic counselors and three non-Catholic Christian counselors who people can connect with through our website and we've met with each one of them and they pretty much assured us that they can journey with people from a faith perspective if that individual wants to bring it into Mm -hmm. their counseling process which is a great blessing to be able to have that resource there and and you see it even more so now the need for that so it's a lot of trying to build up programming around supporting marriages, strengthening marriages, strengthening family life. And we're constantly looking at new ways to do that. The other area that we're working on just getting it out is um, divorce and separated ministry for brothers and sisters who are divorced or separated within the church and really extending outreach to them. We've heard feedback from many um, longing for that type of ministry and support. And so we're hopefully a few weeks away of, of launching that ministry. Mm. Well, it's very exciting. Yeah. yeah. Just, like, it's amazing to see like all of the work that happens behind the scenes, 
So many of these programs and outreaches in our in our parishes and our dioceses are are so important. And to use the example of groups of divorced or separated folks, given that it is a very difficult thing for anyone to go through, but especially like in the Catholic faith, how yeah. to kind of like mitigate that and go through yeah. it. Yeah. And stay strong in your faith that way too. Yeah. Stay strong in the faith and also feel that you're accepted, that you belong, that not only that you're accepted and belong, but you have so much to contribute to the faith community. And I think that's really important because the story I hear over and over again is individuals who have gone through it, whether that's projecting this onto the community or really experiencing it and both, I've heard both sides, just having a sense like I don't belong here when there's so many areas. And this is true for all of us, like those areas of woundedness, those areas of hurt, of struggle should be actually an entry point into service within the faith community. Because when we have those common shared experiences, then we connect with others in a very unique way through that area of pain. And and we know that when we've suffered a similar thing, even on a physical component, if you know a woman has breast cancer and meets another woman who has breast cancer, they know something that I don't know, you know, and they can connect in a way through that shared experience that I can connect. And so if our church can really support individuals with whatever struggle, whatever hardship they've been through, and really see those areas as opportunities of community, of strength, of service, I think it's so important. Mm-hmm. What I love about that too is you've illuminated something for me just as you were speaking, it kind of clicked in my head where, especially coming into this podcast, we talk about gifts that we've been granted by God and and how that lends itself to our own feminine genius and mm-hmm. how we shouldn't be, you know, like hiding it or putting it away just to confirm, right. to conform to what other people think that we should be. But I think what you've touched on there in terms of how even something that might not be quote unquote shareable, like suffering, for example, mm-hmm. can also be an entry point into living out a feminine genius as well. Yeah, absolutely. There's a beautiful article written called The Theology of the Suffering Body Hmm. and how our sufferings either become, if you will, we can be sort of contraceptive with our suffering. We can not want someone to enter in. We can keep them out. And then it doesn't allow us to bring forth new life from that experience. Or we can put down the barriers and allow someone else to enter in. And that taps right into the whole mystery of the feminine genius. Because I think an aspect of the feminine genius is that women have an innate capacity to make space for the other. Mm. And even on a body level within our wombs, we make space for another, right? And if we can make space within our suffering experience, for the other to enter into, and we can share that together, um, we can bring the church forward in a radical way, precisely in those pain points, in those areas of suffering, and in a unique way as women, we have that in. Men can develop that capacity and should develop that capacity. Just like we look at men and they're what's innate in them, and we have to sometimes develop that same capacity But it's just so much a part of who we are on a body level. And the body always speaks of something more, whether it's spiritual, psychological, emotional, what we innately have within us. So, 
it taps right into who we are as women and the gift we have to offer the church. Just before we got started, I remember that we were chatting about how this was already, it was like last year towards the end of the end of 2019, I had the opportunity to go to a full day retreat that was organized by a group of women in the archdiocese and you were leading it and you were talking about the feminine genius and looking at that through the lens of Mary. How did you become interested in the writings of the feminine genius, JP2, and just coming to learn more about it? Mm-hmm. So my graduate studies was at the John Paul II Institute for Marriage and Family. So I had the great gift of literally reading what well, we read in one course, one semester, we read every encyclical written by JP2. Wow. And then also many of his other writings. So his letter to women and on the dig- his writings on the dignity of women, which I'm always surprised at when you read it, you, you definitely know he developed an aspect of the feminine, if you will, because his writing is as if a woman was writing about mm-hmm. women. And I think it's his, probably his deep devotion to Mary that gave him those insights. So I had the great privilege of studying at the John Paul II Institute where it really introduced me to the feminine genius. And what it gave me was the words to explain what I've experienced throughout my life in strong women. Mm-hmm. And so whether it was my mother and her capacity to really delight in her children and make space for us and give us that freedom to become who we were created to be. She had a great capacity to allow for that and to delight in each of us as we discovered that. And she continues that for her grandchildren. She's now a grandmother of 49 Oh my gosh. So. <laughs> Amazing. This is what I love about theology is that it gives you eyes to see what was always there mm. and to understand on a different level what was always there. So whether it was my mother in her strong, and she's a strong woman, <laughs> strong, at times stubborn woman, but, but man, what she was able to teach us in terms of the feminine genius is amazing. And then even professors I had, one of the ones that I just made me fall in love with theology was Dr. Turk, Margaret Turk, a woman who not only her theology came from a feminine perspective, which was beautiful, but once again, how she lived it, the way she really gave herself to her students and would meet with us and even bear our sufferings. Like she, you really felt she took on what we were struggling with, which is once again, I think very much a part of the feminine genius, the way Mary was able to bear the suffering of her son and take that on herself. She couldn't take it away. She couldn't attack the evil that was putting him on the cross, but she could bear at the foot of the cross his sorrow, his his suffering. And I think women, we do have that capacity to bear really the suffering of others mm-hmm. in a unique way. I could just list sister after sister of who lived the feminine genius within our community. In particular, our founders, mother, Rosemary and mother, Sean, who once again, their capacity to make space, to be open to new life, to give themselves to each sister, not only to the community as a whole, but even to that particular relationship, which to foster those particular relationships, which is also, I think, a very 
innate to women to have those particular relationships, knowing the other one very intimately. And so both I was able to study it, but really it was probably more through lived experience that I came to really love and respect and want to know more about the feminine genius. That's amazing. I I can't even imagine having that opportunity. It's like intentional time where you are reading encyclical after encyclical. (laughs) Um, And like you said, in reading it for myself, like Mulier Signatatum or like the letter to women, the way that John Paul II writes it, it's almost like you said, as if it is a woman writing it. Mm -hmm. But also I think what really struck me is just, you know, I was reading it in 2019, 2020, and Mulier Signatatum is written in 1987, 88. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, wow, this is still relevant so many years later, which is- Yeah, later. Yeah. Yeah, because he taps into the essence of who woman is. So whether it's in the 80s or 2000 or 2000 years back, the essence of who we are and what we have to offer society, church, is going to hold true and Mm -hmm. ring true each time we read it and in whatever cultural moment we're in, I think. And then in thinking of that, how have you personally seen your own feminine genius grow and especially in the work and the ministry that you do now as a religious sister, your own personal feminine genius and the way that that has kind of manifest? Yeah, I think being called forth, first of all, learning within community life to be for the other over time to be, and this is, goes back, you know, whether you're a mother or a religious sister is sort of being able to put your own needs aside for a while to serve the needs of others is a big part of our call as religious sisters to be really out there for the other in ministry, but also within community life at times to be able to put what your desires, your wants, your time (laughs) aside to really be for your other sister and be within community. And so living in community life I think has allowed me to develop that aspect of the feminine genius within myself. And then my work with counseling, it's a great gift because you sort of just have to be present to the other and you get to let go of even what you've been thinking about or worried about, at least for the moment you're with the other and holding them in their suffering and their pain and expanding that capacity to hold someone through, whether it's grief or addiction or struggle within their marriage, just making that space for them to process and to relate and to um, walk with them. As a counselor, you get to sort of enter into some of the most intimate realities of people's lives and just hold them. And so that has really developed. And then I think being missioned has been huge in terms of my own development. Because when you're at the mother house, you are held very strongly by other other sisters, a larger community. There's 30 sisters at the mother house. Our mother general, our foundresses are are there. So you're held, which is a great gift, but then being missioned out where you then begin to take what you've been given in that holding and bring it to other areas of the world that you're being called into. And so it becomes really important that you develop the capacity to provide what you've been provided with all through your formation process and beyond. So 13 years of being at the mother house allows me now to go and extend that outreach that was given to me, to the people of Vancouver, to the people of the archdiocese, and just be that presence. Of course, what we do is important, but 
and this is once again ties back to the feminine genius is that it's who we are that's more important that witness that ability to be with others because of who we are mm-hmm. yeah. I speak for myself but I'm sure so many other you know men women here in this diocese that we're so lucky and privileged to have you here as well as like all the other mm-hmm. Franciscan sisters of the uh-huh. Eucharist and of course it's like all the religious mm-hmm. in our archdiocese yeah. I was just thinking what we have felt too since day one of being here is the openness of all of you and uh, the archdiocese and our archbishop, who's such a great leader. He has such a deep awareness of the importance of religious presence, whether it's men or women. And he's brought in so many different new communities to the archdiocese because of his deep awareness of that important presence. And I think it allows for a filling out of who we are as church, because as church, we are the ordained, we are the religious, we are the lay faithful. Yes. And as we work together in complement with one another in, in our particular and unique roles, that's when we're fully alive as church. It's been a gift since day one, since we've been here in the Archdiocese. That makes my heart so full. And I think just like that reminder of the fact that the church is not just religious or it's not just lay faithful. It's like all of us working together in community. Just as we close and as we wrap up as women, whether it is to get married or stay Mm -hmm. single or potentially join a religious community and pursue that vocation. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for women who are either wary of discernment or maybe they are on that journey of discerning religious life or trying to crack open that door? Mm -hmm. Well, those who are on the journey, I I hope for them that they can enjoy the journey, not be fearful, just really give themselves over to the discovery of new relationships and just really enjoy it. It, Sometimes I feel like people suffer through it so much and you're like... (laughs) And I I wish they can just really take it in for what it is. And it is a journey and it is a a way of getting to know a new relationship, a new dynamic within themselves. And I think really keep moving forward if they're on the journey, not to hesitate, give themselves to the process, Mm -hmm. because that's when you will find that you will bear fruit. Whether you discern one way or another, God's going to show himself to you. And clarify for you what he's calling you and who he's calling you into relationship with. For those who hesitate to even enter the journey, I would say almost like, what do you have to lose? You're never going to lose out by giving yourself over to discernment. And I think it's really important that discernment not be seen as discernment to religious life. Discernment is much broader. Discernment is wanting to know God's will for you. Mm-hmm. And he will show himself if you can be open and receptive to it. And you may be surprised what he reveals to you. But if you can give yourself over, and I know even with the young women who come to some of our vocation outreach, religious vocation outreach stuff, I think when they give themselves, it's not even that they necessarily end up in a religious community, because part of what we want is to help them discern truly what God's will is, and it, that is marriage, or that is serving through a lay apostolate or whatever, then we enjoy being in that process with them of just knowing God's will for them. Mm. Thank you so much, <laughs> Sister John Mary. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you could lead us in a closing prayer. Sure. In the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Lord, we come to you in this time of real uncertainty, time 
for some of suffering time, for some of isolation. And yet we come to you in gratitude for the many ways you continue to manifest and make yourself known and present, sometimes in very silent ways. I pray for Rachel and each person who listens to this podcast that they know your presence, that they're open to you dwelling within them, that they see their own goodness because at the center of who they are, they find you. And I pray for each person who is in the discernment process that they enjoy the time of discernment, that they give themselves over and that they encounter you and through that encounter come to know your will for them. And we trust, Lord, in your goodness. And we know, as scripture says in Romans 8.28, that you will bring good out of all. And so though this time may be a time of uncertainty and knowing exactly the good that will come forth, that we trust that that good will come forth. And, and we just praise you and thank you for the ways that we already are seeing such goodness within this time. And we entrust all of our prayers over to your mother. May she wrap us within her mantle and be with us as she so was able to be with your son at the foot of his cross, that she stand with us in this time of suffering and trial and that we know her strength and we know her courage. We pray this and all things through your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Thank you, sister. And thank you for making space for me today and making space for us. It truly was a privilege. My pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you again to Sister John Mary for joining me on the Feminine Genius Podcast today. I'm so grateful to know her and I'm also extremely grateful for the work that she and other Franciscan sisters of the Eucharist do here in our Archdiocese and beyond. To learn more about the Franciscan sisters of the Eucharist, you can check out their website fsecommunity.org. I've left a link to it in the episode description below. You can stay up to date with The Feminine Genius by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at FemGeniusPod. And you can listen to this podcast wherever you find your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and as of late, iHeartRadio. All of this information can be found on our website, FeminineGeniusPodcast.com. We'll talk to you soon, and God bless always. Always.